0: I am so happy to be with you here today. Thank you for your presence, for your time, uh, for your interest in this most incredible, epic adventure. I think you're probably going to burst into spontaneous applause, are you? It's just how epic. (laughs) Uh, nō no tātou hoki te wai marie, and we're so fortunate because an even more epic story is coming our way about how this story came into being, why, and all of the people that it embodies. Nō no etikana e tika ana kia mihi ki a koe te rangatira, tisuta, e te tākuta, maupia, uh, tata, kaupapa e waha, a kō wai koe, nō no hea koe.
1: Well, I'm just thanking Stacey for that wonderful opening and um, also greeting you all uh, in te reo Māori first, um, which is appropriate. Uh, um, now, what did you ask me?
0: Who are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> who, are, who am I? Uh, well, uh, Monty of course. But um, my background is—I'm um, a historian, I guess, primarily. I don't call myself a novelist yet, even though I've written this. Uh, but I'll get there. And uh, I've got a, um, a background in—I'm a member of the Waitangi Tribunal. And I've been a member for two decades, uh, and uh, a lot of what I write uh, is because of what I've heard on uh, in terms of Iwi bringing their grievances before the Crown, so that motivates me to try and get that information now to a wider audience, because usually the reports, um, only the Crown or those who are negotiating agreements and the claimants really get to read that stuff. It's just not out there and... Uh, so that's that's really where I am in life at the moment but I uh, am a married man my wife's sitting right down here and I told her to do that because she's my backbone and I have uh, four children who are all here Uh, I pulled them away from their shopping to come and listen to me today
0: briefly just briefly
1: and my son in law as well As I go on, I'll tell you a bit more about um, um, my life and what inspired this book because I've told you the good bits just now as to where I am in life.
0: There's a lot of good bits, um, and we'll get into that. And we will have a little bit of time for questions, but only partai. Pātai is a Māori word for questions. It's not a question for sta- uh, word for statements. So um, feel free to get ready for those about 10 minutes before our ending. But while the whānau is here, I did want to read um, your dedication from this mammoth book, which I really brought for a visual story. This is epic, and this is epicure if that is such a word. But I do want to recognise the whānau and what it takes um, because you say in your dedication something that I thought was quite important and powerful. To my wife Tina and our children, Oriwa, Tetuhi, Iparaima uh, e and Auhuna, wā kore kore papa, Apart from all your help on this project, there were many times that you were without your husband and without your papa for a long time. So obviously it was important for you to acknowledge the, the time that it takes to do these sort of projects.
1: Certainly that, what you're looking at there, took about six years um, to put that all together. And it, you know, when you're sitting on your own doing this sort of research, that means you're taking time out from your family. Uh, and that's why I acknowledge them.
0: Ka I would like to debate the fact that you said you're not yet a novelist because the evidence would suggest you very much are. Um, and congratulations on massive success. Really, the stuff that people dream of, a book that we've all waited for for a long time. So would we like to enjoy a little bit of reading from Dr. Monty right now from Kauai?
1: So the story is about um, basically following a young, well, a baby's, Uh, From the Womb to the Tomb, set in the 1700s, and um, I'll tell you a bit more about it later, but this is Chapter 2, Ngāpō Village, 1740 AD. Kitty's labour was brief but intense, her robust young body having brought forth the infant vigorously. Perspiration ran down her face as she watched her tapuhi carefully raise the newborn by his legs. A watery emission seeped from the baby's mouth and nose. So Kitty's mother, Arakura, daughter of the old warrior chief too, gave instructions to the young attendant. Ruya Takumukupuna, kia heke tengaru. Immediately the Tapuhi shook the newborn gently to expel the secretion. On seeing the baby's gender, Kitty beamed with delight, and the other two joined her. Ah Takutama. Ah, my son. Kitty's tears kissed her baby's skin as she took him from the tapui, lifted him onto her chest and placed her hand gently on his back to give him some warmth. He was still blue and mottled and covered with mucus, a whitish waxy coating and small streaks of blood. But to his exhausted mother, he was perfection. It was the beginning of spring, the generation before the Tahitian wayfinder, Tupaya, and his first, and the first Europeans set foot on Aotearoa. The newborn had announced his arrival with loud howls just before hundreds of white-tufted tui and sweet-sounding corpora gave voice to the breaking dawn. The tapui, suddenly aware of the bellbird's clear, liquid song, glanced out from the thatched whare to see the orange-red skyline above the ocean give way to the first rays of sunlight. The bird's operatic duet ceased as quickly as it started, and the attendant gasped audibly at the fleeting sight of mercury disappearing in the sun's glare. Fedor is returning to his house of darkness, the attendant murmured. Kitty looked at her. What sort of sign, if any, might the young woman receive when she herself gave birth, crouching alone in the bush? Someday, she wondered. As the sun's golden ball came free of the horizon and its reflection threw a patch across the gentle swells, the tapuhi pointed out a second significant omen in the sky, a clump of reddish cloud trailing, trailing a long, narrow strip of vapour. E hika, he manawarangi, he kohoka. E kitty. Gosh, a roasted heart on a spit, kitty. Kitty glowed with pride, not for the sign of victory in future battle, nor for the relief that the baby was out, but because she knew the gods had gifted her and Tawai a
0: redeemer. <laughs> Ka when I'm listening to that, you you see how the scenes are all wrapped uh, with so many elements of Māori life at that point. Tapuhi, an attendant for a a wahine like Kitty who was of higher rank. Um, You spoke about the whariki, um, the birthing mat, and the fact that the whare is away from other places because it's a tapu act. So you've got all of those scenes of history wrapped around in the story. And you also talk about tohu, which is a lovely place to start, because you shared with me when I wrote one email and no follow-up emails about doing today, that there is a rehu, there is a tohu, there is something that led you to write this book, and you want to share that with us.
1: Uh, Yes, well, I didn't set out to be a novelist. I set out to write just this book about uh, the history of this country, and... um I didn't think through non-fiction that I would reach the people I was after, which is really young, the young people of this country who are our future, and I was thinking about how do you get to them these days with Facebook and all those other things they've got on our gadgets, and I thought, well they watch these screens all the time, Uh, perhaps it's got to be moving pictures is is really where I've got to get to, and if I'm really going to educate them about our past and I, when you read this book truly it's like watching a, uh, a movie so I wrote it with that in mind somebody told me if you can see each scene like you would in a theater um, then you're probably getting there so that was my intention is to uh, write it for young people write it like you'd be watching a movie I didn't realize that by doing that I'd capture everybody, uh, all ages. And, and I know that from the response I've been getting. Uh, why did I do it? After I finished that book there, Whetikiu, uh, as I said, it took about six years, I was pretty exhausted, burnt out, and I thought, well, I need to take a break, and I'd promised my wife some, some time, and so Tina and I decided we'd go to Greece for three months, and we'd sort of on a sojourn and, and get rested up. And I was thinking at the time once uh, the book was out, what do I do next? And this whole idea of how do you uh, get the information that you know from a lifetime of research to New Zealanders uh, who don't know our past? And I was thinking, well, maybe a novel, movie, if you're going to get a movie or, or, or a um, television series of some sort, it's got to come from a book, so maybe a novel. And I was asleep at about, this must have been about 4.30 in the morning. We were up here in Auckland uh, at my daughter's place on our way back to, about to go back to Gisborne the next day where, where we live. And I've heard this voice before. I, I heard this... Um, this statement, it said, get roots. That's what I heard, get roots. And so boy, when I woke up that morning, six o'clock, I just turned to my wife and I said, hey, we've got to get this book, Roots. And uh, she knows me well enough to know that uh, there's probably something behind what he's saying. If you grew up in New Zealand in the 70s, late 70s, there was a series on TV called Roots. It was about American family, a black American family, and how they traced their roots back to um, Africa. And, and it really was the story of one family over six generations, I think it was, but it was a story for all uh, black Americans about their, their history. And I didn't really know why I had to read this book, but I said, we've got to get this book, Roots. Sunday in Auckland, no bookshops were open. And I said, it doesn't matter. The book's so old. It'll be in a second-hand bookshop or a rare bookshop. That's what I thought. Uh, and uh, Gisborne doesn't have any of those. It only has uh, Paper Plus and uh, Muir's Bookshop. Uh, and I knew it wouldn't be in those two shops. And we're going to Greece in a couple of days. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get this book so quickly? So we drive back to Gisborne. We're about an hour and a half into the drive. My wife is driving I'm asleep, and at Pyodor, we're driving through Pyodor on a Sunday, and my wife nudges me, and she says, "Hey, look, there's a Red Cross book sale on the side of the on the footpath in in Pyodor," and she said, "Shall we stop That Book might be here," and I said, "Oh, fat chance of that, but let's stop anyhow." So we get out of the car, and. On the footpath, the the boxes are in alphabetical order depending on the name of the book. See, A, B, C, D. They're all spined down. But when I got to the R's, there's one book sitting on top, flat of all the other books. I turn it over, and without a word of lie, it's Roots. I look at my wife. She looks at me, and she says, Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Um, Perhaps you were meant to get Roots. So I took it to Greece, and I read it. And I came to the understanding that this is what you're going to do next. You are going to write, like Roots, uh, the the history of the Maori experience of New Zealand, of colonization, and before, right up until today, just like this book here, and you're going to see it through the eyes of one family. Uh, And I was over there for three months, and I thought, right, I need to know more. How on earth am I going to do this because I 've got no experience, remember at writing novels and uh, from my Catholic boarding school um, experience, they used to make us do retreats once a year where you 'd fast and uh, and you 're not supposed to talk, but you know one hundred and eighty Maori boys in a school trying not to talk to each other we never it was all fun to us, but I did understand that if you want to um, get your hair cleared uh, that' that Fasting and, um, and silence helps. So in uh, the last um, two weeks of our stay in Europe, we went to France um, to a, a little um, place out, uh, Cornelis, I think it's how you pronounce it, um, just out in the middle of nowhere, and that's where I fasted for a week. I First time I've really done it, hated it. Um, I like to eat, uh, but I did it. And I did find after about the third day I could think a lot more clearly. Anyway, long story short, this voice speaks to me again and tells me this is what you're going to do. You're going to sell your house, and you're going to leave your job. I worked for the Ministry for Culture and Heritage when I was doing that book, and you're going to write this kawai series. And I thought, yeah, okay. Because I, I knew by seeing that book Roots that this voice was real and whatever I'm supposed to be doing, I better listen. You know, I'm that type of person. Yep, right, okay, right, Sell a house, leave work and um, go write the series. But I have a wife. And, um, you know, and I I'd certainly want to acknowledge my wife Tina uh, because she didn't say yes straight away, obviously, but she did in the end. And, and I admire her for taking the risk. Uh, but the good thing that the, uh, the waiter said to me was she will agree because I'm gonna tell you how much you're gonna get for the house. <laughs> and I said to her, hey, this is the price we'll get for the house. And she goes, that's impossible, that would be a miracle. Uh, and I said, well, you don't have to worry then because if we don't get that price, we don't have to do this. So we come back to New Zealand with, and I've got this plan, and I say to her, it also told me get the worst real estate in Gisborne. Agent, the worst real estate agent, uh, agent in Gisborne to sell your house for you. And she's sitting there thinking, and I'm thinking, I'm looking up, I don't know the real estate agents, and looking up their names and their experience. She goes, hey, wouldn't we be the worst, you and I? And so we sold our house on Trade Me. Um, And I tell you, the price that was given to me, nobody was getting anything. This is pre-COVID, anything around that. And so I think she thought it wasn't gonna happen. Then one day, this couple knocks on our door, uh, asks to see the house. My my wife is, um, Tina's off at the beach, uh, and they walk around for about 20 minutes, and the guy comes up to me on the side, and he goes, hey, how much do you really want for this house? And uh, I told him the figure that I'd been given. He goes, you can give me 10 minutes? Went away talked to his wife. They come back and he goes, yep, we'll buy it. And, I, and I'm like, what? And he said, yep, we'll buy it. I should have checked out who this couple were because there was nothing to them to buy it at this price. But I said, hang on, I have gotta go see my wife. Uh, I can't do this, I can't agree to this. So I shoot down the beach and and she sees me coming. I said, honey, you are not going to believe this, but these people have offered us the price I told you for the house. She was in shock. And then she gathered herself and she said, did you ask for more? (laughs) Long story short, we sold the house. And I came to understand that the reason I had to sell the house is because we needed some money to finance this um, project that I was going to work on because I was not going to have a job. Um, and I learned, that, I learned that afterwards. And so that's pretty much how this whole thing started. And, you know, I came up here to Auckland. I looked up online who's going to teach me how to write a novel. This was February 2020. Came and saw Paula Morris. She gave me an hour out here, and I asked her, How do you write a novel? And she gave me a whole lot of tips on um, how to do it. And I said, I thought, Well, I'll, I'll, listen, I'll sign up on your course. The next month, COVID hit, and the lockdown was on. And I wrote this and researched it under lockdown uh, most of the time, which was a blessing because I needed people to stay away from me um, for the two years that it took me to do it.
0: What an epic story. And this dedication is well deserved, isn't it? Ko kōrua, thats this beautiful insight into your relationship. When you spoke about that voice that you heard, you said the wairua, the spirit. Do you have an idea of who that was, where that came from?
1: Well, you know, different people will say it's, you know, call it what you like, but I'm, I have a strong faith and to me, it's, uh, it's a way to end with the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Uh, I don't have any doubt in my mind, for me, that that's what, where it's coming from. You know, I write in the back of this book, the way you talk to God is through prayer, and the way God talks to you is through intuition, through what he impresses on your mind. And I know um, that I'll get this done because it's, it's beyond me what, what I'm doing here. I open this book now and read and I think, I don't even recall writing that. Where'd I get that stuff from? And sometimes I'm sitting in front of the computer and, uh, you know, there's nothing for a day. But there's other times that just ideas start dropping into your head and I'm away. And I'll be honest with you, because people are asking me, what's the secret to this book? Why is it like it is? And I said, I don't know. But I can tell you, I pray every morning before I start writing uh, but that's, that's, that's me. You might interpret what I'm hearing as being something else, but for me, that's what it is.
0: So, you went to Paula Harris. She said, Here are some tips on how to be a novelist. So, did you nail it straight away?
1: Absolutely not. In fact, after about six months, I was sort of praying, saying, What? The, why did you get me to do this? If, if you wanted me to do this to, to help New Zealanders understand our history, why, why aren't you making it easier? for me, uh, and so I guess, I was listening to Catherine before, it's the same, the same challenges, where uh, it's hard, hard work, because I really wanted an editor to help me uh, refine what I was doing and give me ideas. So I put it out to a whole lot of publishers, I sent, sent it out, and five of them showed interest um, based on a few chapters I sent, and I explained what I was trying to do in terms of um, Really, the the series is about nation building. I I really appreciate that we're never going to move on as a country until we understand our past. And so I was explaining to the publishers, that's what I'm trying to do here, is I'm trying to gift to the nation its history uh, so that we better understand each other. And which publisher would take that on is, is what I was interested in. Three came back, and they were more serious. And then I got it down to two. Uh, and in the end, I, um, uh, I, I took on um, Bateman Publishers. Um, They're the ones who published uh, my non-fiction book. Uh, and people might ask me, how did you come to that decision? Intuition, again. And that, that, that's what intuition told me. These are the people who are going to work with you on, on the book
0: when you were trying to write in a novelist style, you got some pretty full-on feedback.
1: Yes, well, Bateman, after reading, after they signed the contract, (laughs) told me, no, that's not a novel. You're writing like a historian, you're writing non-fiction. You need to go back and virtually start again with those chapters, and I thought, what a trick um, that they would do that to me. But I just didn't understand, uh, because I hadn't read a lot of novels. I thought it was a bit brutal at, at the time, but when I look back, it was you know a, a real soft approach to nudge me in the right direction um, so that I could produce what is a novel.
0: But when you were saying that you were questioning yourself, questioning what aspects of it—just the style of writing or what you can write as a Maori writer—because we see you know things like series like Vikings. We go, well, we've got all those stories, but the timing has to be right, the person has to be right, and the style has to be right when it's a Maori writer. it's a lot of things to come together. So what were you questioning?
1: Well, this took me two years. Uh, the first year was really trial and error, trial and error. Uh, and you might think that wasn't long, but you've got to remember I've got 40 years of historical research behind me, so I didn't have to go out and do that stuff. I'd already had it. Um, and it was all at home or in my head. Uh, the challenge for me um, was to, you know, as a historian, we like footnotes, we like to reference things, we like to stay as close as possible to the facts. And I didn't realize for um, your reading or audience, you have to let them work some things out for themselves. A historian would tell you exactly what's going on, and that was a real challenge for me not to do that. And again, you know, with an editor, um, that was a a big help. The other thing I'm writing about, this is loosely based on a true story. These are my ancestors. And so I was careful as a Maori um, to cover myself because I've been brought up uh, around that that stuff where this is tapu tapu knowledge. Um, You're about to share it outside the family, uh, which is a risk. And that's what I mean about covering yourself. And um, always wondering, are you being uh, true to your ancestors? Are you demeaning their mana in any way? Being careful about that um, and what they're saying to each other and not um, staring too far away from the actual story of what what happened. Because some of you will read this and think, that's amazing, unbelievable almost, but it's it's. It's confrontational, a lot of the stuff, and, you, and I didn't make it up. I pulled it from somewhere where I know there's a story where that happened, and I put it all into this one family line, uh, and I did it at risk to my, myself, uh, and that's why I say I, that's another reason I was praying every day, because I didn't want to get zapped for what I had put in here.
0: <laughs> because that's genuine when we talk about Māori stories and what we're sharing about ancestors because of our spirituality, our understanding of Waiduatanga, getting zapped sounds funny, uh, but can you explain to people who maybe are uninitiated what that means, what here, what restrictions, what tapu kind of means and how you balance that and still make the creative work?
1: You know Māori are very spiritual people. And we know that the, you know there's, the outside of us there's, there's this other whole other world um, that you know we say when someone dies, ki tō te arai, go beyond the veil." It's a very thin veil between us and the spirit world. that's what we believe, and that if you you're not careful and, and breach that uh, in the wrong ways, there is something to pay for for that. And sometimes it mightn't be you, but it might be somebody close to you that gets impacted. And you might think that's just suspicion, but when you've been brought up in it, it's hard to divorce yourself from those beliefs, and it's always niggling at you as a writer. I just thought that the story is bigger than that. Uh, if, I'm, I, if it you know, costs me to, to do this, I really believe that uh, the nation will be better off for having this stuff out there. And I was thinking too, you know, how long have I really got? I'm 62. Uh, And I'm wondering, if I go to the grave with all that information, what was the benefit in all those old people and all the study I did to learn all this stuff Mm. and just to take it to the grave and nobody benefit by it? I, I think that's just selfish. And I'm also fearful that, the maitipuna would say you had an opportunity to bring us to life again and bring that world to life again and you didn't, that'd be the worst thing for me.
0: Uh, but for me as your reader and someone who feels like my house is better, my father is better because of books like this, uh, you've carried a, the wairua of a lot of tupuna for a long time but you don't carry it heavily. Uh, and, and there's a vitality in your words. To me, your mana makes it such that this feels right. It feels right reading it, but that doesn't mean it's not challenging. Uh, so you don't flinch away from how our ancestors were. And some of it includes utu, yeah. it's violent, and there is kaitangata cannibalism as well. So did you make choices about that or did you create a line for yourself or how did you decide how you'd approach that?
1: The book I wanted to write first was the next book, Colonisation and Its Impact. Uh, but I didn't think people were really going to understand that until they knew what our society was like before Captain Cook got here. Then you realise what colonisation was impacting on. Uh, and, and I didn't want to cherry pick and I wanted to be balanced. And I thought if I'm going to tell that period, I'm not going to hide anything. i tell it as I know it, um, from what I was told and from my research. And, you know, I, I wrote it in a way, I didn't make any judgment about what our, our ancestors did then. I mean, cannibalism is, is in here. I think people make, some of the reviewers make too much of it. It's not that big um, uh, a bigger part of the book. But... Um, I always say to people, don't judge. If you check it out, 70% of the world, our culture's all had it, and you might have it in your own wardrobe if you go back far enough. Uh, just, it, it was there. So let's not hide it. Let's, let's just tell it how it is. Don't make any judgment on how, why, um, from today's point of view. Uh, and I always say, you gotta remember too, we accepted Christianity in the 1830s. Uh, and that put paid to all of that and so you know, we asked for forgiveness for what we, we had been doing and for what our ancestors had been doing.
0: You say utu rang strong at this time in our history. So uh, is that an example of how you're kind of giving a window to our past and that utu isn't just revenge and all of the layers of what utu means in a whanau?
1: is about balance. Uh, so if, you know, if someone does wrong to you, you got to balance that off uh, at some point. And this whole story is a story of Utu, where this young, well, before he's even born, when he's in the womb, he's dedicated to ut, to avenging his grandfather's death, to balance uh, the relationship with this other iwi. And it's a fascinating story of how a warrior was shaped. It made him into a killing machine by the time he was 19. And he's a fraught hero in, in the story. And, but you think about it, if that's all you've known, or that's how, they, uh, how you grew, uh, that's how you respond in later life to any challenges he had. There's a prologue in here which talks about a young person going back to his marae, trying to find out who he is. And he finally gets this old man to his cloa to start telling him the story of the the koruru or the ancestor on the meeting house. And when he starts, you dive right back into the 1700s and you cast, a spell is cast over you. I'm, I, for those who have read it know what I'm talking about, you are just in this world of what this country must have been like back in the 1700s. And I'm, one of the best descriptions I had was from a friend I gave it to read. He said... For the next 200 pages, I never blinked. And he said, I was back there in that world. And even though I created it, they said, it seems real. It seems like that's how it must have been.
0: But you start with a whakapapa chart, and I'm interested as to when you plotted that. Uh, Was that from the beginning, or did it grow, or when did that come in?
1: Oh, sorry, I should say that kawai, that's what it means, genealogical line. Uh, uh, it means roots in Maori, kāwai. It's your lineage, and um, I think my editor was, or um, well, my publisher was, struggling with all these names, all these Maori names, and that maybe a chart of some sort would help the reader. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons I put a fuck up a chart, and I could I could put the real names. On that chart, that's my whakapaba actually in there. But I coded all the names. All my relations know who we're talking about. All the enemy iwi know who's being talked about too. Um, but I didn't want to demean anybody. So I changed all the names. Well, I, I, I coded it. Um, I'll tell you one for example. pa is the scene in the prologue. Pa. The name of my marae is Penupā. Nu, peer, peer, nu. It's not that hard if you're from our area as to what I'm talking about, but rest, the rest of you won't have a clue. And it doesn't matter because you don't need to know um, uh, where these places are. And the other reason too, I was thinking about after um, witty 's book came out on uh, the whale rider, all these tourists used to come to Whangara and I knew it used to price the, the locals off. Uh, and I didn't want to be responsible for naming my marae and they're all off there, all the followers of this book to get photographs and things like that. That's another reason I, I did it.
0: But you know those places intimately. Uh, one part of your career, you were talking about the Maori land court and how you worked there. So you literally camped in these places that you have then recreated. And uh, are they memories that are sort of serving you as you write?
1: Yeah, that's why it, it seems so real, because I've been to the places I write about. And we're lucky on the East Coast, the native bushes are still there around Mount Hikurangi. Uh, and so when I'm describing sneering ketadu or pigeons back in the day, I was taken to those places to do exactly that, even though it was illegal. Uh, but I can tell you we never caught any. Uh, so, so I've been there. I know what it looks like, and I know what it feels like um, to be in those places. So, you know, that's um, I'm, I'm pulling on my experience. Some of the lines in this book are the lines that my... Um, my old people use.
0: In terms of te reo Māori, did you make a strategy of how you're going to do this? Um, to have the whakatauki or to have the, the way you've written it, you'll have direct quotes, hetama, hetama, and then sometimes in italics. And then when they're actually talking between each other, it's not a direct quote. So you'll know they're still speaking Māori, but it's just not
1: written. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, trying to find a balance as to how much real to put in there. Uh, you know, because I had a lot of translations. And, and right now I should acknowledge um, Jessica, Te Ohore Carr, who was my Māori editor for the, the real parts. She's retired now, but I acknowledge her. Um, yeah, getting the balance again, it was my publisher, Louise, and then Rachel, who told me when I had too much in. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what I was trying to do, to remind people they're speaking in Māori.
0: It's a trilogy, and you seem to know what's happening next how far through are you and how much do you know what's going to happen
1: Uh, i can tell you this the voice showed me the last page of the series i know what's written on that last page how you get to that last page is the challenge i've got Um, i'm a fair way through the second book but i think it's going to be a while yet Uh, As I say, I've had some challenges this year. My father died about hmm, four weeks ago Mm. after a long illness, but he was 89. Um, So that's, you know, it's pretty hard to write when you're under those conditions. And then we had Cyclone Gabrielle. It seems this second book has uh, far more challenges. I seem to run into far more challenges, and I think it's because of the content Uh, in the second book, I'm talking, you know, this way to a spiritual stuff again. What I'm trying to tell New Zealanders in the second book about the 19th century here in this country, is it's almost like something doesn't want it out there. Uh, So when it's ready, it'll be ready.
0: Or maybe today's the day you get more messages.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes it's silent.
0: In terms of what you create, uh, you've talked a little bit about what you hope this book will achieve. How does it feel when it achieves? All of the accolades, you know, the nominations, the finals, the amazing sales that you've had so far. How are you processing all of that?
1: Well, I'm humbled. Uh, I can't believe it. Um, You know, I'm just just uh, smacked at, at what's happened with it. Um, but at the same time, I know I've got to write two more. And so, you know, I don't stay up there. Uh, coming to the Writers' Festival, I think, oh, this is an inconvenience for me. I really need to be writing. Um, but I do like getting out and talking to people who have read because that's where I get to understand who's reading it and what, um, what my audience is um, you know, I said I'm a, I've got a strong faith and, you know, I give credit where credit's due and God is, is you know, where, I, that's where I point to for the, the success of this book, not me. Um, I'm just, I think, the, uh, the tool that he's using to tell New Zealand its history.
0: Kilda, But you have had quite early on a vision of the movie or how it's going to be presented and so I'm sure film rights are being talked about, are they?
1: There are, there's interest already, uh, but I'm trying to tell these people, hey, can you wait till I've written the series? Because you got to really know where this thing is going. Uh, if you want the rights to to this for a movie, you, you're going to buy the rights to the lot, and I want you to be sure you understand what this series is about. Um, I, I just don't have any doubt that this thing is beyond me and where it's going. I know it's in... This story is international because the series is about, is about the indigenous people of New Zealand and its, its experience of colonization, really. And every indigenous culture around the world had the same or similar experience. So everyone's going to get it. Uh, that's my belief. And, well, that's the impression I was given. And I just think, do your job, write what you're supposed to write, and then get back to what you were doing before that.
0: And would it be a deal-breaker as well that your nephew, who's on the cover, should be cast as well?
1: My, my daughter down here and another daughter, Tatui, she came up with the idea for the cover, and uh, we trialled my son, who's here for the cover, uh, but he just didn't look uh, ugly enough. <laughs>
0: Menacing enough.
1: <laughs> and so we, I talked to my, I, my nephew, my sister's son, that's Te he he on the cover, I said, hey, well, why don't you trial? We'll put a book on you and we'll trial you for this uh, cover. And he was all keen about it. He's in the New group that won the festival uh, earlier this year. And I said, do you understand uh, what this could mean, having your picture on the cover in bookshops? and Oh, no problem, no problem. He's sick of it now <laughs> uh, and regretting it. But um, I think this, myself, the cover is what I was after. It's stunning. Every book presentation I go to, they're always asking me these older woman, where this guy is. <laughs> uh, so I always tell them, hey, he got married earlier, this, or earlier last year, so I leave him alone.
0: But Matatini is available on TVNZ On Demand, <laughs> so you can always see that. So we do have some questions. Are you moving to, no, are you moving to ask questions? Te uh, koe. We have about eight minutes.
1: In 1975, the Māori author Heritonga Pat Baker, um, published um, his book Behind the Tattooed Face, which similarly described a um, a late 18th century um, um, tribal life around Whānau How much did this book sort of... uh, Did you get any ideas from his uh, book? I read that book when I was in school. Um, You know... Going through an education system back in the 60s and 70s, I always wondered why there wasn't anything about us. I'm I'm talking about people like me. And uh, it's probably the reason I write so much about Maori because I was told by a, um, a Maori statesman that being Maori in this country is about the fight for equality. And because I have a talent for writing, I thought, yeah... Well, if that's right, how am I going to contribute to that fight? Well, I'll try and even up. I'll try and balance up um, the literature in this country uh, in terms of our history by giving Māori perspectives. And uh, he, Hete Taunga Pat Baker, um, Behind the Tattooed Face, was the only thing I saw for this period I'm writing about, and that it was based on the whakatohe experience, and nothing since and uh, I thought, right, I did read it again, and I thought, well, i can go beyond that, and um, that's what I'm trying to do here. And I realize now, I don't have the books in print at all, but there's nothing for this period that I'm writing about, other than that, there's nothing in the country. And uh, probably that's another reason it's popular. The title of this book is For Such a Time As This, and my wife gave that title to the book, and inside it says, Um, a saga from the uttermost end of the earth and I think that title is really important 10 years ago 15 years ago I don't think it would have had the success it's having now New Zealand is changing Uh, our generation uh, should be seeing it the next generation coming through they don't have the problems uh, and the The hassles um, that we had growing up, and I think it's because of that that the book's getting read. I tell you, in 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 my childhood, a lot of people wouldn't have read that; Um, they would have just written it off. Uh, But now, everyone's—you know, older people, younger people, male, female—are picking this up, and I think it's because we want to know something. Now we're ready. New Zealand's ready to learn about its past. They want to know something about, oh, what are we founded on? And it's not just as far as 1840. It goes right back. And I think New Zealanders have got to realise you've got to own the whole of your history. Even though you're not Māori, that is part of this this country's history, and it's yours, too. Uh, It's not just Māori's.
0: Tēnā kui. Iora, thank you for your book.
1: It uh, shocked me with the violence and the kaitanga. It distressed me with the training of the young man as an instrument of utu. But it also relieved me because it made some space in the narrative which I've been living for the last 15, 20 years of being the descendant of the colonizer, the violence, the bringing of violence, because it gave another view of Maori history you're absolutely right. I wanted to sort of explain to all of us, Māori included, hey, our past ain't that clean either. Um, and, and we need to look and own that as well. And, that, um, and the other thing too is colonisation is not all bad. When you read the second book, you'll realise there's pros and cons to it. There's lots that we have to be grateful for because of colonisation. Uh, and, and that'll come out in the book. And I know that because my own grandparents and that conveyed that to us. Uh, There's some bad stuff, uh, but is it any worse than the lifestyle that we had? Pre-colonization. I think a lot of people, if they're they're very um, insightful, will see that in these books, what's happening today, a lot of the way things play out are hangovers from the past, You can't breed out of a people in 250 odd years what they lived for 600 years, Uh, and so that you, you, I see things happening, and I said this is almost like what I wrote about, Uh, but that's the 1700s. But I'm seeing it today, and I think you know there there are those connections to be made, and uh, don't worry, I'm not going to beat people up about colonization. What I'm gonna try and convey to people is that, hey, it's good and bad, but you can't write it off as all bad.
0: And also, it's just our living existence. Many of us are a living treaty partnership. pai, pai thank you so much. Uh, thank you all for being with us. I'd, I'd like to particularly uh, give aroha to the whanau. It's huge for you to come here before you go to Zara and then Mecca. Um, <laughs> But I'm quite glad I didn't see you earlier. It would have made me nervous. Uh, but today has been all about legacy. Um, you followed the way, you followed the path, and you are living your destiny. In this most incredible form. And so I'll finish with this whakatauki that's very relevant for you, Dr. Monty. To tama, the whakata o matsua, the moko o chipuna. Stand strong, O oh son, the reflection of your parents, the emblem of your ancestors. Te e and nei. e whaka, nei.